0: You are listening to episode number twenty of the Mind to Body Academy Podcast with Sarah Rose. This isn't an MBA. This is the MBA. This is the place For you to get coached and make health and happiness the business of how you get ahead in life. You get coached. Coached. This is the startup of you. You get coached. And now, your coach, Sarah Rose. What's up everyone? How are you holding up? What does your brain have to say about what's going on? (laughs) Probably lots. So I just want to assist you in directing some of your focus to all the things that are going right amidst all these changes and adaptations that you're having to make to the things that you're handling like a badass. Your brain won't want to go there on its own so we're just going to ease it in that direction. Today, I want to talk to you about a topic that was brought to my attention by my friend, Cyril Linda, And it's a topic that's been heavily discussed in the healthcare community, but less so outside of it. Right now, we have a lot of nurses and doctors and healthcare professionals on the front lines dealing with the crisis of the coronavirus. And what many of them are also reporting is a correlated spike in people checking into our hospitals from overdoses and overdrinking and attempted suicides. We also have people converging on our hospitals who don't require urgent care and who aren't part of the at-risk populations. Only a small percentage of people who aren't part of the at-risk populations will develop a serious health condition from this virus, but of course. (laughs) Everybody thinks that they'll be part of this small percentage. And what we have on our hands is really also the early stages of a mental health crisis. And we can describe a lot of what we're observing as pre-traumatic stress. As we watch the news, we watch the stock market, we watch our bank accounts, we watch the grocery shelves empty themselves out, and the imagination starts to project us out into the probable future we are trending towards. The mind starts to flicker with all these intrusive and involuntary images of possible future events. And as we tune into this mental static, it produces stress ahead of the possible event. So the anticipation of a life stressor is itself a life stressor. Your brain and your body start mobilizing a lot of energy preparing for something that isn't real yet or even guaranteed to become real. It accumulates and creates this backlog of stress that we're already reacting to. It creates what we're imagining as real because we're feeling it in our brains and our bodies right now. Now, the likelihood of a possible event might actually be very high anticipating that you might get sick if you're working in a hospital environment or you know this is a virus that's very contagious so there's a real possibility there or that you might not be able to secure the money to cover your basic living expenses and allowing yourself to experience that possibility is actually very healthy we shouldn't pretend like it's not a possibility and try to shrug off our responsibilities or just brush it off. It's adaptive to get stressed. Stress is an adaptation, energy, and a survival mechanism. The brain is designed to look for what might go wrong or what's going wrong. We have a fixation on what might be threatening. It's healthy to let the mind get stressed And acknowledge a problem so that we can prepare for it or prevent it but it's a misuse of our adaptation energy when we get stressed and stay stressed what happens is that our fixation on the worst case scenarios gets compounded by our confirmation bias which leads us to focus on information that matches or evidences the worst case scenario we listen to the news and we can find lots of proof from other countries that are ahead of us on this curve about what's going on in their hospitals and their economies and their communities to make the worst case scenario more real to us in our minds before it happened right the problem with that is that when we're fixated on the problem we aren't focused on solutions And we're often reacting to the stress, creating other problems for ourselves, particularly in this case because it's a charged issue and it feels like our very survival and livelihood is at stake. So we make an airtight case for what we believe will happen, making it more likely that that stress is something we're reacting to in our immediate situation And not something that we're responding to. It feels necessary to the mind to offer up that view. That something has gone wrong or something will go wrong. Because it's trying to protect you. So I'm not advising to fight against it. Because that will completely wear you out. And I think that exhaustion is already setting in for a lot of people. It's wearing people down where you just want to kind of stare blankly at a wall or at a screen or into the fridge and completely zone out. I get that. I've had those moments. (laughs) But what freaks the mind out is that element of chance. When we're waiting to see what happens next and we're anticipating that something bad will happen, the buildup of negative emotion often prevents us from thinking clearly and taking action now we just kind of freeze up or get into avoidance behaviors. So when we get primed by the stress, the body releases cortisol and adrenaline. When we get triggered, that's what the response that happens in the body. And that happens to be able to get ourselves out of the threatening situation. But the thing is, quite often in the situations that we're facing now, nothing has actually happened yet. Even if it could happen tomorrow, even if it could could happen in an hour, we're anticipating a lot of future events and we're reacting to them now. So nothing has actually happened and there's nothing to run away from in this immediate moment. So we're having this stress response in our body and it reinforces the belief in our brain that something bad is about to happen. And this anticipatory buildup Is often way worse than when the worst case scenario is actually here. I can think of so many instances in my life where that's been true, but a particularly useful example is if you've ever seen a toddler being dragged by their little arm to get vaccinated. They're like kicking and screaming and they're begging to be released and it's like they're being dragged to their death (laughs) and There's all this resistance. The anticipation of the pain is so much worse than the pinprick of pain in the moment. It's natural to experience stress and fear when we're faced with the unknown, when we don't know how painful the pain is going to be. The absence of control is something we're all experiencing right now. We always have very little control The brain doesn't like to think about that because if we were always worried that we might die or lose our job, or that a loved one might get sick, (laughs) those are all very real daily possibilities but we'd have a very hard time functioning in the world if we were always thinking about it that way. Right now, many of us are using our imagination to fear the future it's a misuse of the imagination worrying feels like the appropriate thing to do but it's not ask yourself is this worry actually protecting me is it useful do i need it right now sometimes yes but more often than not no we don't need to worry As my coach and mentor Brooke Castillo says, you don't have to be worried about it (laughs) to be smart about it. We can be preventative and responsible and educated and careful without worrying. You can take measures to ensure that you'll take care of yourself without worrying. Eckhart Tolle says that worry pretends to be necessary. How might that be true for you? Worrying short circuits our creativity. When we're worrying, we don't see past imagining what might happen. We aren't thinking in terms of solutions. The way that we develop courage and calm when we're worried is actually quite (laughs) counterintuitive. It involves exposing yourself to the fear, to show yourself, that you can handle it. The way to get rid of your fear isn't by pretending that it's not there. That just ends up creating the impression in your mind that fear could jump out at you from around the corner at any moment. So you acknowledge the fear and pay attention to what it's asking you to pay attention to, the possible worst-case scenarios running through your mind. You tell yourself the truth about what you're so afraid of. And you process that through and you decide how you would handle it. What can you do to prevent it? So you acknowledge it. This is what could happen. Is there anything I can do now to prevent it? And then what would you do to repair it? If this does happen, what are possible avenues of response that I can have? Even if it's just to make it a little bit better. What's that one first next step? it's healthy to let the imagination go there to the worst case scenario so you can foreshadow how you would take care of yourself, what solutions might be available to you, what resources might be available to you. And then it's also important to use the imagination in the other direction and imagine if none of what you're worrying about actually happened. Because the truth is, We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We have no idea yet. It's completely uncertain. Our thoughts about the future, even the ones that feel most true, are just mental representations. They're layers of interpretation over our direct reality. Our thoughts are real because we experience them mentally, physically, and emotionally. And they have a very real impact on our lives. But it can be life-changing to recognize our thoughts as thoughts. As compelling storylines. When we see them as thoughts, we don't immediately have to believe them. There's a space between our direct reality and the thought that we're having about our direct reality. And we can decide in that space what we want to think. We don't have to react to our thoughts as if they were already true. When we separate our thoughts out from the facts of our immediate circumstances and we allow ourselves to be with with our immediate anxiety, we can start to plan for our best case scenario and also be preparing for the worst. Offer yourself the alternative to the worst case scenario in equal time to the amount of time you give to the best-case scenario, because the mind will only offer you the worst-case scenario. (laughs) It takes a deliberate, conscious exercise to lead the mind back to the space where possibly everything works out, where you can feel very certain that you handled it, Offer yourself the possibility everything will work out, that everything will be okay. Go to the best case scenario. Spend some time living there in your mind. Go to the place where you could handle whatever happens next and where you had the strength to get through it, where you were capable of figuring it out. We don't know how long this will last or how bad things will get, but what we do know is that Whether this lasts a month, three months, a year, this is all temporary. When we get stressed, we often shrink our time horizon. My friend shared this post that said, there are now officially only three days of the week during the coronavirus, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. (laughs) And it's kind of like that. So spend some time projecting yourself out you a time in the future when all of this is behind us, when the situation has been resolved. The only way out is through and we will get through this. Give yourself relief from taking the long view on this right now. I've been finding it helpful to think of myself like three years down the line and just being in this completely different place. Where might I be? And just letting my imagination go there. My friend was asking why we aren't really talking about the crisis through the lens of mental health, and I think that's because we're still very much in a culture of reactionary health care, meaning we don't pay much attention to our health, both physical and mental, until we're in pain. We don't pay attention to the problem until it's a problem. Preventative health care is still a recent paradigm shift. When it comes to our physical health, we have access to so much education today on how to fuel and move our bodies in ways that feel good and promote health. But we have to be proactive about seeking them out, seeking out that education, and applying it to our lives. So it's not systematized quite yet. If you're wondering why, if we have all this education at our fingertips and We know better. Why don't we always do better? That can... It's the perfect segue into talking about preventative mental health care for an explanation. I think, at best, most of us have a vague notion of what preventative mental health care might involve. And here's why this matters. The less we panic, the more prevention we can do. So remember... When we're stressed, it blocks us from going to the place where we're taking preventative action and also where we know what resources are available to us to repair any damage, potential damage. So the less we panic, the more prevention we can do and the less we have to manage unintentional, undesirable outcomes. So problems on top of the problems. We definitely don't want to be adding to the problems we're facing right now by panicking and freaking out at each other. But what happens is that we don't act according to what we know because we act according to the baseline of stress in our nervous system. So how we direct our minds and manage our stress amounts to the difference between being reactive and constantly being in a position of having to put out fires, and being able to create our lives intentionally, the lives that we want, to decide how we're gonna show up no matter what. How you manage your mind is how you adapt to life's demands. But what exactly do I mean by manage your mind? If we wanna shift gears and go from being reactive to being responsive to our lives, We need to learn how to do our own self-coaching. We need to learn how to watch our brains think and direct our thinking and create some calming down through mindfulness. These are deliberate practices to develop cognitive and emotional skills. And I mention this because some people tell me that their mental health regimen is to go to the gym. And that's amazing. (laughs) Keep doing that. Definitely lots of mental health benefits to that too. But... It's not specific to the mind. It's hard to eliminate all the judgments and the constant barrage of anxiety-producing thoughts, right, have you tried? (laughs) Especially when we're handling a crisis like the coronavirus. And you can't stop the thoughts and the judgments from coming, but you can direct your mind in such a way as to not be so stopped by them, to not give way to panic, To exemplify that calm is strong and to lead the way through these turbulent times. To be a resource to yourself and to others. Your brain is going to be wobbled. It's going to be like, wait, we're in the middle of a crisis and you're doing it wrong and you need to focus on all the things that could go wrong at any given moment. (laughs) And... You need a way to be able to witness that and process that through and redirect your mind and tell it what to think. You need a way to be deliberate and purposeful in what you think, feel, and do. You need a way to tell yourself that everything is going to be okay no matter what happens and that you're going to figure this out and that there's nothing you can't handle. Writer Carlos Castaneda says that We maintain our world with our inner dialogue. The world you see today, your world, is a reflection of how you speak to yourself. It's a reflection of what you're thinking. And I'm not saying it's about thinking positive all the time. It's definitely not about pretending to be happy. That wouldn't be helpful at all. It's about giving equal consideration to the positive and the negative, because life is never only positive nor is it ever only negative but the mind tends to think in these polarities and you know what mindfulness is it's an intentional response it's a wise relationship to both the positive and the negative it's not about transcending to some astral plane or becoming some sort of enlightened being (laughs) It's a boots-on-the-ground, solution-focused, relational orientation to your life. Right now, it's so important to be collaborative with one another rather than to be finger-pointing and blaming. We need to be understanding. We need to be understanding when people aren't taking the actions we think they should be taking or responding to the situation the way we think they should be responding to it. We ourselves need to be responsive. We need to be inclusive. My good friend Justin sent me this excerpt from Yuval Noah Harari, the author of the book Sapiens, and I have it here to read it to you because it really touches on this point. He wrote, Time is now. Humanity needs to make a choice. Will we travel down the route of disunity, or will we adopt the path of global solidarity? If we choose disunity, this will not only prolong the crisis, but will probably result in even worse catastrophes in the future. But if we choose global solidarity, it will be not only a victory against the coronavirus, but against all epidemics and crises that might assail humankind in the 21st century. We need a way to come together on this. And I know it seems like the world will be a better place when the situation changes or when the people in the world change, but really, the world changes when you change. It starts with you. It starts with how you're choosing to show up. You just have to get to work on you. When you have a sense with your own self-coaching that yes, I'm worried, and yes, I'm scared. But you can also feel calm about that, and certain that you're capable of handling it, handling both the emotion and the situation. Yes, you can still get stressed, but also, you know that you don't need to stay stressed. The future has yet to be decided, The future only exists as a thought in your mind. It hasn't happened yet. You get to decide the future that you live into right now. And sometimes the most helpful place to live our lives from is this in-between future where we acknowledge both realities simultaneously about what could happen. So you take the feeling you're feeling now and you find its counterpoint. You might acknowledge, I am afraid and I'm resilient. I'm worried and resourceful. I'm exhausted and I'm able. I'm freaked out and I'm helping. The mind tends to construct reality as either or. So the and creates this thought bridge that unifies this opposition so that we can entertain two truths it's equally true that this is destabilizing and scary and that you're strong resilient and capable of handling it find the words that have the most truth for you if that little voice in the back of your mind starts chirping bullshit it won't work I once had someone say to me, so you want me to lie to myself? No. I want you to tell yourself a truth that serves you. If I'm sitting across a table from you with a Rubik's Cube in the middle and I tell you that the cube is blue because that's the facet I see and you tell me that it's yellow because that's what you see, who's right? What I'm prompting you to do is to consider what you're not seeing because of what you're seeing, to angle yourself towards the circumstances you're facing in a way that gives you a wider view. Think about what happens when you cut your finger. All of your attention floods your finger. So I'm just talking about bringing the awareness back to your entire body, back to your entire life, opening that lens up, Not just that short-term time horizon, but opening back up, creating space. So you're not lying to yourself. You're not denying yourself. What's happening is happening. You're opening yourself up to allow multiple perspectives in. And sometimes that means that you notice the judging mind calling you lazy, for example. And you acknowledge that that can be true under some circumstances. Maybe that's been happening and coming up for you right now. But you can also recall some situations in which maybe you wouldn't describe yourself as lazy. So we get beneath these blanket judgments of ourselves and of others, and we don't let one truth diminish us, nor do we let the other truth delude us. Anyone, including us, can be both lazy and not lazy. Again, it's not an either or. If you want to cultivate inner peace, you can't pretend your way there. You have to find another believable facet of reality that offers a more balanced view of your life right now. When you just see the most limited view, you feel very constrained. As my friend Oliver Day says, pivot or perish, pivot or perish. When you make that pivot, you shift your perspective. That feels much more powerful. The future can only hurt you by how you think about it in your mind. Let me repeat that. The future can only hurt you by how you think about it in your mind. Let yourself feel some hurt right now because that's what's coming up for you. Instead of being in the energy of dread and anticipation about what could happen, give yourself the relief of allowing yourself to hurt and handle that hurt right now. Begin the process of healing before the hurt happens because it's already happening in your mind. So you can attend to it in a way that's wise and compassionate and creative. Allow for the possibility of resilience and creativity and resourcefulness and compassion to be the companions of hurt. Pain is a portal. And you can grow through what you're going through, but you have to create the bridge and do the crossing. So what I recommend you do is sit down A piece of paper and let the stressful thoughts pour out of you onto that paper. Take a few moments to notice what about the situation feels so bad. Write down all your thoughts and then separate your thoughts out from the facts. What are the neutral circumstances that you're experiencing right now? What do we know for sure that everyone could agree upon? And then notice what you're making that mean about the situation, about yourself. What are your judgments and opinions about what's going on in yourself and other people? And then acknowledge how those thoughts are making you feel. List all the feelings that are coming up for you. And then offer yourself another feeling to bridge to using the word and. So, stressed and confident. For example, access that kind of strength and support by reaching for a better feeling perspective, a more balanced perspective. We have a negativity bias. The brain is always going to be going straight to the negative. And no matter how trapped you've been in fear or shame or anxiety, installing that counterpoint will allow you to access your resourcefulness when you encounter difficulties ahead of you. As you move throughout your day, you'll experience the mind crossing that bridge back and forth, back and forth, from I might get sick to I might not get sick to I might have to start over to I might not have to start over. The more you get practiced bringing the mind back the more supportive states become character traits that you can default to. Whatever you practice grows stronger. So when you practice this, you literally change your brain and evolve your consciousness. But it is a practice and it's something that must be done deliberately. There's this passage that I might have referenced before from... Nisargadatta Maharaj. Ooh, nailed it. (laughs) That goes, Wisdom tells me I am nothing. Love tells me I am everything. And between the two, my life flows. Allow yourself to flow between two truths. We are as we imagine ourselves to be. And our imagination is both a source of so much trauma and terror and also an endless well of creativity and healing. It has never been more imperative to direct our minds to set ourselves on the path of healing. It is global imperative, and it is our individual imperative to take responsibility for creating peace and relief for ourselves. It is absolutely in your power to do that. You can mobilize your imagination to be part of the relief effort. Your mind is the most powerful thing you have control over right now, during this whole thing and after. Your mind determines how you feel and what you will do next. Time is now. This is what it is. So ask yourself, how can I be who I want to be? strong, capable, resilient, and simultaneously acknowledge my humanity, and that I'm scared, and that I'm anxious. Then I have a human brain that allows me to think deliberately about the future, and that will also tell me all of the horrible things that could go wrong. Humankind, are you willing to acknowledge your capacity to be both. Beyond the edge of survival, those of us who will thrive are those of us who decide to be both, human and kind. I'll talk to you again very soon. Take care. Thanks for being an awesome listener of the podcast. Your health is your number one wealth asset. And your body is the vehicle for you to make that contribution you want to make to the world. Step into a vision of success that includes health and happiness by joining my one-on-one coaching program where you'll work directly with me in Think Yourself Slim to do just that. Or be part of the conversation in the Genius Body community over on Facebook. Let's start a transformation today